So it is Valentine's Day coming up here pretty soon. So married couples, it's probably some ideas. Get your wife some chocolate. Just here you go, sweetie. <laughs> Throw it at her. So if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in a, a series that we've called. Uh, why do you think this would be easy? And it's just n- it's a not a this is going to fix your marriage. Do this type of thing. We're actually looking at the first marriage that was on the face of the earth, the marriage of Adam and Eve. We started with Genesis 2, and we've worked our way up to now we're going to start in Genesis 3, the, the first 13 verses of that. So I just want to jump right into that now. So if you want to just take a look at that with me, it'll be on the screen or grab your Bible. It'll be Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. So just listen along. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here's our first clothes. I told you we'd talk about clothing and so here we go. Fashion statement number one, fig leaves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the servant deceived me and I ate. And this is really the start of a lot of firsts on this, this planet Earth that we, that we live on now. And actually the question, like you hear people ask the question of why? Why is this? Why does this happen? Well, in a lot of reasons, this is the answer why. Because of this single event on, on the face of the Earth, this forever changed our lives, changed life on Earth from, from that time forward. It, it changed it question I thought myself asking while I was is writing this is have I ever done something like that have I ever made a decision or something in my life that's really just forever changed my life changed the course of my life now this decision it could be good or it could be a bad decision sometimes maybe it's both and maybe it's something maybe we say something maybe it's an action that we take maybe it's an argument that we have with somebody maybe it's a decision to do something or a decision to not do something. Either way, it's an emphasis that I'm, I'm putting that on I. Like, I did it. Like, it was my choice. It was something I did. And a lot of times, those choices, we it, like in this, like it didn't just affect Adam and Eve. It affected all of us for the rest of our life. It, it could even just be something that just happens in a blink of an eye that forever alters your life, alters the life of others. Now, I hate to admit, but I have lots of, I've had lots of those things in my life. 
I've made lots of things that are examples of bad ones and of good decisions in my life. Now, just to give you one of an early age, um, younger than I would like to admit and younger than I would like to say, my kids might be watching or might be here later, but I decided to s choose to start drinking at a very, very young age. And um, not drinking water, it was drinking alcohol. So I started my drinking career. And that was not the best decision I've made in life. Like, I can look back and say that altered and changed some of the, some of the paths that I went on in my life. So you could consider that as a bad choice. Now, a good choice would be about probably four to six months before I was going to go to college, I uncommitted from one college and I just went to another college to play football. And at the time, I didn't think this was a big deal. Like, I didn't think this was going to be a life-altering altering change in my life. But as I look back, I go, this, this was a big life-altering change. There was lots of things that happened because of that decision. One, if I would have went to the original school, this bad decision I made, I would have been feeding that because I would have been in, a, in an even worse culture to feed that drinking decision. And actually, by making this change, it helped me start feeding this God part of my life. So I'm going to consider this to be a good decision, a good choice in my mind in my life. I'm sure that as we're sitting in this room, that many of you, as I was talking about this, maybe some things have started to think going on in your mind, decisions that you've made, maybe bad ones, maybe good ones. And we can all probably agree that some of these have been life-altering, like they have changed the course of our lives. They've changed our, the trajectory. Now, maybe it's just a, a it was a one-time decision. Maybe it was a decision that was repeated over and over. And perhaps it was something that wasn't a split second. Now, we can think of even examples in people's lives of you read the news headlines of how th people, there's like split second decisions. You s read things and, and it only takes a split second to say pull a gun and you read of shootings, you read of all kinds of things of, of these are really decisions that change the course of not only this person's life, but it changes the course of, of a family, of a victim of a whole bunch of other people these decisions that we make now i want us to want you to think of of the worst decision you've ever made think of the worst decision that you just just think of that what what is something that man if i had to, to do all over again i would change i wouldn't do make that decision again so i want you to think of that and i want you to think of what is at the time what was happening inside of your body or maybe even just right now thinking about it, like you're getting this feeling inside your body when you, when you made that decision. And you might have even been feeling that, like, I knew that was a bad decision when I made that. But are you maybe even right now or then, were you feeling anxious? Are you feeling like your heart just is beating fast out of your chest? That you're having trouble breathing? Like sweaty palms? Maybe you were just sweating? That you had you kind of had some confusion. There was this uncertainty. You're, you're just feeling like, kind of ask that question, should I really be doing this? Is this something I should really be doing? Maybe this is how Adam and Eve were when they were in the garden, when this temptation came upon her. When Eve was grabbing that fruit off of the tree, maybe she was feeling a lot of this same thing, like, I don't know about this. I, I'm, maybe this isn't the best decision. So let's, let's start to break this down and start looking at this big decision in the garden. Now, first of all, 
we, we see this awful creature slithering around on the ground. We introduce there's the snake. This nasty snake is crawling around, creeping around in the grass. And what he's doing is he's planting seeds of poison. Now, this is the part of the Bible where these first two chapters, this guy wasn't around. Like, this is where Satan makes his grand appearance. He, he makes his appearance into our lives in this, starting in this chapter. And the text tells us that he's crafty. Now, he's crafty, not like, you know, I like to make fun of Tim, but I'm going to compliment Tim this time. I'm gonna, he's not crafty like Tim and can, like, fix things and do things around the house. Like, he's more crafty like that, you know, the Allstate commercial, that Mr. Mayhem that causes trouble. He's crafty like that to destroy things. And he's full of deceit. And he's planting these small seeds in Eve, giving her these ideas of, like, you know, questioning God, creating doubt in her. And he's saying things like, you know what, that God of yours, that God, like, he's a big party pooper. Like, he's a party pooper. Like, he's just trying to keep something from you that's going to make you, it's going to be good for you. He just wants to keep that for himself. And you know what? God, he's even kind of abusing you and Adam because you know what? He's keeping that from you, and he wants it all for himself. And Satan, he's using this freedom that God gave us, He's this freedom that, that we have, that we do have a freedom to choose. We have free will. We have this freedom to make our own choices, to trust God or to not trust God. Because when God created us, he didn't create us to just be robots. Now, these are robots when I was young. Robots now actually are starting to have artificial intelligence so they can think. But robots that couldn't reason, robots that just didn't make their own decisions, robots that just did things according to their programming. God created us to have relationships relationships with him and relationships with each other and god gave us this freedom to choose whether we want this relationship or we don't want this relationship so satan's using this freedom he's taken this freedom and he's using it against even the garden he's trying to get her to choose her will not god's will and satan just didn't come into eve's eve's life introducing himself of saying oh hi i'm satan I'm, I'm here to meet you today. It's, it's very good to meet you. Like, like I'm the very def- definition of evil. Like, I'm someone that you shouldn't trust. I, in fact, you probably don't even want to be around me. Like, you should probably re- leave. And he's saying, you know what, but can we be friends? I want to be your friend. Can we play now? Like, Satan doesn't come that way to us, does he? Like, think of our lives. Like, no, he's, he comes as just some ordinary guy, just something creeping in our everyday life. In fact, we don't even realize he's there. He's just like just another one of God's creations, hoping that he really doesn't even get noticed so he can creep in, he can crawl around and introduce those doubts, those seed of doubts. Now, 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 tells us, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Like I said, he's not going to show up at your doorstep. He's not going to show up in your marriage and say, Hi, here I am. I've arrived to destroy your marriage. Can I come in now? He's not going to do that. He's going to come around in our ordinary lives, everyday parts of our lives, and try to creep into our marriages, looking for little tiny subtle ways to confuse us, to tempt us, to devour us, to destroy us. And he's got this goal 
to separate us from one another and ultimately to separate us from God. So I'm just asking that we recognize that. We recognize those attacks of the enemy. We just don't give them a place in our life. Now, I think to, to show this, like we, we, even in our marriages or maybe even just in our relationships with one another, like we might have this great day with our wives or our husbands. We have this great day. Everything's going great. There's no arguments. We're all on the same page. Like we're all, it's all lovey-dovey and everything's just wonderful. The whole day is that, you know, and I always talk about rainbows and puppy dogs and all that. Like this is the day we're having. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, just one little statement, one little look, one little anything. And man, it just goes all out the window, doesn't it? Just creeping in, Satan creeping in, causing a little bit of mistrust, causing a little bit of anger, causing a little bit of doubt, a little bit of rage, all kinds of things that that enemy tries to do. Plant some little seed to make it all go away. And it'll be something dumb, like something really dumb, like missing the garbage can when you're trying to throw your dental floss away in a little tiny garbage can like that. Like, like not that I've ever done that, but like it's, it's not very big. Not putting a book away. Maybe falling asleep on the couch and not going, getting up and going to bed and forgetting to turn the TV off. Lots of things, little things like that. Those little seeds of doubt that then Satan will just twist and he'll put in and say, you know what? They don't respect you. They don't even care about you enough to pick that up. They just put it on there, expect you to do it. Putting those little seeds, any of those little seeds, to keep us from seeing that other person as being a suitable helper, to create doubt. Because the enemy's really, really good. He's really, really good at this job. And he's going to use whatever he can to separate us. To get us looking at each other as the enemy instead of seeing who the enemy really is. And like he doesn't stop there either. Like, he keeps going. Because he didn't stop with Eve just planting the seed. Now he starts to, to question God. Saying, you know what? Surely you're not going to die. In fact, if you do eat that, you're going to be Come on. It's just a little tiny fruit. What's that going to hurt? It's not going to hurt you. Come on. Go ahead and eat some. Go ahead. It'll be good for you. Go ahead. Look at that pornography. Go ahead. Look at whatever that is. Go ahead. That's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt your relationship. Go ahead. Take that little pill. Go ahead. Smoke that marijuana. There, smoke this, smoke that. Go ahead, just do, just do whatever that is. That's ah, not going to hurt your marriage. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's not going to hurt you. It's probably going to make you even better. Let's make your marriage, marriage better, right? Go ahead. You got that lunch meeting with that other, with another guy or another girl, opposite sex of you. It's a business meeting. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's fine. Go ahead and just go go to some quiet place. And you know what? After the meeting. They'll say, it's like, you know, I'm not doing anything tonight. What are you doing tonight? And they'll say, go ahead. And, and what, you want to come meet me for a drink or dinner or something? You, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's not going to hurt you. Go ahead. Yeah, it won't hurt you anymore. He's going to creep around and put those seeds of doubt. He's going to say, God is keeping from you to question God. Because that really doesn't sound so much like leaving and cleaving and becoming one. 
there's things that he's going to say, nothing's going to happen to you. It's going to be fine. Well, Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. That makes it clear to me. Because that's exactly what happened when Eve ate the, and Adam ate this little tiny fruit. Sin entered the world, and nothing's ever been the same ever since. And it's not just our marriages he goes after. It's all of us. And his ultimate goal is to separate us from each other and to separate us from God. And I want to read in Romans, Romans 8, 31 through 39. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for his all, for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself self has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And who is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us? Can anyone ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death as the scripture says for your sake we will be killed every day we are being slaughtered like sheep no despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us the last two verses are what i really want you to pay attention to and i may convince that nothing can ever separate us from god's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a truth we can hold on to. Like that is a truth. That nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. Nothing will be able to separate us that's in God's love that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm saying apply that to our relationships with each other, but also just really apply that to your marriage. The next time that enemy comes slinking around, he comes creeping around in our lives. And like I said, it's not just our marriages. It's, it's with all of us. Because the enemy is this crafty snake. We need to recognize him and don't let him plant those seeds of doubts, that poison inside of us. Now I'm, on a, I'm done talking about that guy for the most part. like We've given him enough credit today. We've given him enough lip service today. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Let's, let's continue on and talk about us and talk about God for, for the rest of this time. But this temptation that entered the, into the world, and we see Eve, she's, she sees the fruit, and she goes, that, that's, that fruit is good. That's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. She desires it, and she eats it. So what do you think Adam was doing this whole time? What was he doing? Was he just kind of hanging out, counting the animals, counting sheep? Nope. I'm, he was right there watching her. He was right there the whole time, watching the entire thing. Didn't do a blasted thing. In fact, Eve offered some to him, and he just gobbled it right up. So sorry, man. This is like your first failure right here. You didn't lead your wife. Don't also be blaming Eve. Like, Don't blame her. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. 
Did you notice something? There's, some, there's a little line in this, one little verse, part of the verse in this, that actually just kind of popped out at me this time reading this. It says, it wasn't until both Adam and Eve ate the fruit of their, uh, that their eyes were opened, that both of their eyes were opened. So I'm going to propose this. Are you a leader or are you a follower? And so, man, I'm mostly going to pick on you for the next few minutes. Because I've said Adam needed to lead his wife. Now, it's, it, we've, we'll make this clear. It doesn't make he superior, that he's, that he's better than her, that they're equal, they're both different. They each have a role in this concept of marriage, and they become one. They're completing each other. But, Adam, I really think, like, I'm sorry. Like, dude, you should have said this. Like, you should have said, honey, what are you doing? Like, what is going on? You can't do that. Don't even think about that. In fact, let's just get away from here. Let's just get as far away from this as we can. We need to flee from this evil. Flee from this temptation. We need to obey what God said. But what do we see Adam doing? Some we probably do too. Sit on the couch, watch the football game. Wife comes in. Eve comes in and says, here, honey, eat this. He just takes it, doesn't even look, just eats it. And there literally went the planet. There goes the planet, the entire thing. So this is my question. What do you think would have happened if Adam, in that moment, when Eve handed him the fruit, he stepped in and would have said no? Now, I don't have the answer to that question. The text really doesn't give us the answer to the question. But I want, to, I want us to think about this idea. Now, we know God is a loving God. That God, in fact, is love. Now, we get this and we can confirm this in 1 John 4, 8. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, let's listen to 2 Peter 4, th- verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Instead, he, God, is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God wants us to, he wanted Adam to do something. So what if, since both of their eyes were not open until Adam ate at the fruit, God was giving Adam one more chance, one more chance to lead, giving it a chance to step forward, lead his wife, to resist this temptation, to seek God, to admit guilt, to seek forgiveness, to seek reconciliation. Knowing God did not want anybody to perish. Knowing that the wages of sin of death. Was God giving Adam that chance? That chance to lead. That chance to lead himself. Lead his wife. Lead both of them into forgiveness. Into repentance. Now I don't have that answer. The text does not give us that answer. So I don't know. But I did find it interesting that it said both of their eyes were not open until they both ate. So we see Adam just being a follower. I'm going to talk about that a little bit the next week too. But not standing up. He's leading. He's not leading. He's following. So we next see God actually I think at this point is giving both Adam and Eve a chance to repent. He gives us that too. This, this next point. God is calling for you. He's calling for us. God, now, God knows what happened. Like, he, he's not, he's God, so he knows, he already knows. And he calls to Adam. He goes, hey, Adam, where are you? Where are you? 
Well, where is Adam and Eve? Where are they? They're hiding. They're fearful. They're, they're no longer naked. Remember the fashion statement of fig leaves. They're ashamed. They're not asking for forgiveness. They're not wanting this reconciliation. Again, not leading his wife. He's not setting an example. In fact, he answers God and he blames. He blames Eve for everything. It's all her fault. She's, she did it. She handed me a fruit. She, it's our fault. Doesn't accept responsibility. Not confessing to God. Not seeking forgiveness. Not seeking reconciliation. So then God turns to Eve. Gives her a chance. Well, she blames too. She goes, eh, why me? It's that serpent. The serpent did it. Again, not accepting responsibility. Not confessing to God. Not seeking forgiveness. Not seeking reconciliation. Blaming each other. Blaming everyone else. No ownership of what happened. Someone else's fault. Now, we use statements like in our lives. We say, well, I know I shouldn't do blank. You fill in the blank. But it's blank's fault that I did this. We're blaming someone. We're blaming something else. Or maybe this, this is in our line. We can another twist of this. I shouldn't talk to my wife, my husband, my friend, my coworker that way. But because of blank, things like stress at work, other th- reasons at why, reasons why we blame somebody else or some other thing. So what about us in those times? So sounds sounds familiar. And what about us also? Do we hear God? Do we hear Jesus calling? Where are you? But are we scared? Are we ashamed? Maybe hopeless? We're blaming. It's everyone else's fault. It's not my fault. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in this sinful world that we currently live in. It leaves us all inheriting this sinful nature that came from this one moment that actually leaves us with one of the answers to why do you think this would be easy? Well, because of this sin is why it's not easy. Because sin entered the world and we're all suffering from these consequences. It leaves us with the question, well, what do we do now? What can I do now? Well, this created a need for a Savior. And we have that Savior, don't we? We have that Savior. We have Jesus. John 3.16, you guys know this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now that tells us the who it is. Now, let's look at 1 John 1.19. This will tell us some how. How do I get this? We confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, these are words that aren't just for married people. These are words for every single one of us. These are truths for all of us. So what if we happened if we stopped hiding? We stopped fearing. We stopped running. We stopped blaming. We stopped avoiding God. You came out of out of hiding when you heard God's voice, when God said, where are you? You answered that call. You confessed your sins. You sought repentance. You received forgiveness. You received that forgiveness that received from Jesus, and you become reconciled to God, receiving eternal life that we get that's promised to us from John 3.16. Those of us that are married, what if in our marriages we did exactly the same thing? We stopped hiding, we stopped fearing, we stopped running, stopped blaming, stopped listening to the enemy. Instead, we sought forgiveness, 
We sought the reconciliation from God. And we also sought reconciliation from each other. Because that image I gave you last week, remember? Husband and wife kneeling before a cross, facing the cross, united as one with Jesus, submitted to one another together. Recognizing our spouse is not the enemy. And you're realizing who the true enemy is. We fought for our marriage. Fought the true enemy, not each other. And we, we need to recognize how subtle he is. Because he does. He crawls around in the ground like a snake. Do you often, when you're walking along, you don't often see a snake until you're right there about to step on it. Because it's hard to see. And we stop using those terms that, well, I should have, but statements. Because if you haven't figured it out by now, a lot of times if you, if you catch yourself using that statement, you probably shouldn't. It probably means that you need to stop and recognize where the real problem is. Because it's probably not who you're blaming. It's probably the person that if you looked in the mirror, it's probably that person. Something that you need to talk to God about, that you need to answer to God. Something that you actually you need to hear the voice of God calling you, saying, where are you? Now we've looked in, in just a few verses, start of the Bible. We've looked in Genesis to see how God saw Adam, and it just wasn't good for him to be alone. So he created this suitable, equal helper for Adam. It's different, but together they completed each other. That together they, they just really bring out the best each o- in each other. They, they help each other in their weaknesses, and it was just created special for, for the other person, just like your spouse is. Now, we read that how God intended for a married couple to leave and cleave to one another. Cleave so tightly that they became one. Becoming one with each other and cleaving to God in your marriage so tightly that nothing can separate us. Except for the enemy is going to try his best. He will try, he will go all out. And unfortunately, he succeeds more than we want. He's going to use this freedom that we have, this freedom to choose God, to choose each other, this freedom to trust God or not trust God. And he's going to manipulate that freedom. Get us thinking, God's holding out on us. Like, you deserve better. Planting seeds of doubt. Because his goal is to separate us from each other and to separate us from God. Now, next we're going to look at the results. What are the consequences for our rebellion? What are the consequences for our sin? But I want to end today using with this. That we can use this freedom that we have we can use this freedom also to choose God, to choose Jesus. We don't have to give the enemy the victory that he craves. We do not have to do that. Because if you don't know already, he's already lost. He said again, he has lost. Jesus gave that victory on the cross over him. Now I want to read, leave you with these words out of Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Put on that full armor of God. Stand firm. 
Don't fight each other. Fight against the true enemy. Not your spouse. Not each other. Fight for your marriage. Lord, I just, I just pray against the enemy, Lord. You have given us victory. Your son's death on the cross and resurrection, Lord, and him coming to life, Lord, gave, he defeated death. Lord, and so he, Satan is, is he's already a defeated enemy. Lord, so I just pray that we look at him as that way. We don't give him the power that he thinks that he needs, the things that he thinks that he has. That we, that we just cling to you, Lord, that we seek you, that we hear your voice of saying, where are you? Where are you? And we stop hiding. And we come and we see you and we, we just seek reconciliation. So today, I, maybe there's someone in this room that they've never, they're hearing that voice of saying, God, God's saying, where are you? And you want to answer that call. You want to say, I'm right here. God, and I just want to pray for forgiveness. I want to give my life to you and I want to choose you and I want to follow you. So if that's you, if you want to just look up at me and, and you're just saying yes to God, you're saying yes. Lord, I just, I just thank you, Lord, that you sent your son for us. Lord, I just pray that, that we can use these words to fight for our marriage and fight for our relationships. And mostly, Lord, to just, just we don't even need to fight for your love, Lord, but that we stop fighting each other and we just cling to, to you, that we just accept that you are love, that you love us, and that you want nobody to perish, Lord. In your name we pray. So, we're going to have communion right now. And I want to read you these words out of Matthew 26, 26 through 28. It says, as you were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So today, as we receive communion, I want us to just, just remember this covenant that God has with us. That we're really, we're just a bunch of sinners. Just like we were back in the garden. Back in the garden when we needed this Savior. When we have this first need for a Savior. So as we receive communion today, and we know that God loved us so much that he sent a Savior to die for us. The Savior we all have, if we accept him. Jesus. So let me pray and then we'll receive communion together. Lord, I just pray that as we receive communion today, that we will just remember you. That we'll remember what you've done for us. That you, that you are the Savior, Lord. That you love us. You don't want any of us to perish, Lord. So just thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's receive communion.